We are on our second week of a series called Honor Challenge. How many of you are in an Honor Challenge small group? Very good, very good. You can follow along with our sermons online if, if you're not here, but you are. And then in your small groups, we'll discuss these contents with our groups throughout these next six weeks. Today we find ourselves in the book of John, chapter 5. And you can open there right now, John 5. You can pull out your outline. I know it doesn't look like it will be helpful. The doodlers among us are ecstatic right now. Jesus makes a lot of bold claims in this text, and I leave that outline blank for you so that when one resonates with you, you can jot it down. What do you see about Jesus in this text? What does he say about himself in this text? So feel free to use that outline or lack of outline to write down whatever would be helpful to you. We will look at all of John 5 today, but I will read right now the first 15 verses. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's pray as we open our time this morning. Father, you are a king who is powerful and wonderful. Your son Jesus claims to be one with you. We worship him this morning. We worship you in Trinity this morning, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit coexist as one God in three persons whom we worship in spirit and truth. We pray that you would help us this morning to understand the person of Jesus, who he claimed to be, who your word claims him to be, and what that should mean for us as we live on this earth as subjects of this king, Jesus. Let us find our identity not in what we do or what we don't do or what boxes we check or journeys we take, but let us find our identity 
in the one who died and rose on our behalf. Let us submit our lives to him. Let us abide in Jesus and bear much fruit. Help us to see him for who he is today, we pray in his name. Amen. If you'd like to start filling out that blank piece of paper in front of you, write the question down that Jesus asked to the sick man. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? It's a powerful question. Do you want to get well? I wonder if this man was surprised as he looked up and heard Jesus asking him this question. Of course he wanted to get well. He had been sick for 38 years. Of course he wanted to get well. That's why he was at the pool of Bethesda. The local legend was that an angel would come down occasionally and stir the waters of the pool. And when that happened, the first one in was healed. So this man had found himself alongside this pool, hoping to get in the moment the angel arrived. And yet, unfortunately, since he was sick, he knew that his chances were slim that he'd be able to race down there and hit the water before anyone else. So Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to get well? He said, sir, I I have no one to help me down to the water when it's stirred. Jesus looks at him says, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately, the man was healed, picked up his mat, and walked away. There was such a large crowd that day that Jesus had, was hidden from sight. Such a large crowd that Jesus had to walk past in order to get to this one man that he would heal. We see that question in front of us, do you want to be healed? And sometimes we wonder, God, why haven't you healed me? There's someone in our mind that we think needs healing and we've prayed, God, heal that person and he hasn't. Yet we see in this passage that Jesus doesn't heal everybody. But when Jesus desires to heal, he can heal instantly. This man begins to walk away when he is stopped by some Jewish religious leaders. The Sabbath police it was their function that day. See, carrying a mat was illegal on the Sabbath. Breaking the Sabbath was actually punishable by death. And that's, that's why they had multiple witnesses. Because in order to get the death sentence for breaking Sabbath, you had to be seen by multiple witnesses breaking the Sabbath, and you had to have a prior offense. So luckily, I guess, this man had been sick for 38 years and probably didn't have a prior on his record in Sabbath-breaking, and yet as he comes to these religious leaders who stop him, he's filled with fear. They said, it's the Sabbath. Don't you know that it's illegal to carry your mat today? And he rolls on Jesus. He says, the guy who healed me, he told me to do it. It's kind of like a police officer catching you in possession, not you, but catching a person <laughs> in possession of drugs, and, and, and you say, well, yes, this is illegal, but my, my drug dealer right there, he, he gave it to me. 
The police officer would probably say, excuse me for a moment, right? And go and pursue the one that he was truly after. And these religious leaders did the same thing. When they heard, out that, heard that Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath, that's a stronger offense. Because not only had Jesus sinned by healing on the Sabbath, according to their rules, but he had commanded someone else to break the Sabbath. And so they asked the man, who is this fellow? That's what my Bible says, fellow. I don't know if that's how it came out in the first century. But who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? That's the big question, right? Who is this man? The readers of John's Gospel would be asking themselves that question as they read chapter after chapter. Who is this man that the Apostle John writes about in this book? The one that John claims was with God in the beginning. The one that John claims was word and became flesh. Who is this man? The man who had been healed turns back and Jesus is lost in the sea of sick and broken people. and says, I, I don't know who he is. And at this moment, this story stops being about a healing and starts being about a battle for authority. I don't know if you know this, but people don't like when you take their authority away from them. Did you know that? If you're not sure if this is true, try this out. Go to work tomorrow. Go to work tomorrow. Find someone who doesn't work for you and give them the day off. If you're not working right now, try it at Starbucks. Go down to Starbucks, because I don't want you doing it here at our coffee shop. Go down to Starbucks. Go up, sidle next to the barista and say, hey, you look like you're working hard. You deserve a break. Take the rest of the day off. You know, they'll probably push back a little bit, which is normal, but just keep pushing. Just tell them, I insist you need to do it. Just, just tell them I said it's okay. If they choose to listen to you, which a wise person would not, but if they did, chances are when they started to leave, their boss would stop them and say, where do you think you're going? And they'd say, well, that man told me I could have the rest of the day off. And they would answer, as the religious leaders did, who is this fellow who told you that you could leave? Who is this man who's undermining our authority? And we think it's different because it's Jesus, right? Jesus has all authority. He can tell whoever to do whatever, whenever, right? But try to use the Jesus card at work and see if that works. <laughs> Go tell your boss tomorrow you're taking the day off because Jesus told you to. That would be using the Lord's name in vain, so don't do that. But if you did, now imagine you're on the phone with a client. And as you're talking to them about the product or whatever you're talking to them about, giving them service, you, you, you start to realize that there's something going on in their life on the other side of the phone. And so you take the risk and you ask them about it. You say, is, there, is everything okay? You sound kind of off. And, and at that moment, they break down and start crying. And they say, actually, no, this is hard. And going through this with my life and with my wife and with my money and all these different things. And, and you start feeling burdened that you should offer this person the hope of the gospel and pray for them. And so you say, hey, I, I know we don't normally talk about this stuff, but let me, can I pray for you on the phone right now? 
Can I tell you about Jesus who lifts our burdens and gives us hope? And you have an amazing conversation and you hang up the phone and your boss is standing there behind you. I have a feeling that even though Jesus told you to do that, you're about to have an awkward conversation with your boss. You might hear something like, who is this Jesus that tells you what to do when you're on my dime? And Jesus isn't your boss, I am. I don't know how your religious stuff works, but keep that at church and at home. But here, we don't do stuff like that. When Jesus and his authority conflicts the authority of this world. Imagine your kids get really fired up about Jesus through children's ministry and they decide to tell everyone on the playground that they need to give their lives to Jesus Christ. You'll get a call from the principal saying it's really nice that your child is so excited about her religion, but we don't do that here. Jesus' authority only goes so far. So worship him at church and worship him quietly at home, but keep it off of our streets and off of our playgrounds and out of your workplace. There's still a battle going on, isn't there? Between the authority of Christ and the authorities of this world and believers in Jesus have had to stand up for themselves for thousands of years and say, he told me I could do it. This man is so filled with terror that even though he's off the hook when he doesn't know who Jesus is, when Jesus circles around and finds him again at the temple and says, see, you're well. Now, repent. Stop sinning. Turn your life around. Start following me, and, and you'll avoid the judgment that is to come. Instead of following Jesus, this man is terrified by the worldly authority, the religious authority, that he rolls on Jesus again and runs to the Jewish police and turns in Jesus. Imagine if you were a bystander on that day. You were there at the Pool of Bethesda. You watched this man be healed. And it was so miraculous that you followed the whole scene. You went out and saw this police interrogation. And, and you started to be filled with wonder. Who is this fellow that told him he could be well? You saw that Jesus healed him. You know he has power. But now you're wondering, what kind of person has power, obviously, from God, and yet clashes with our religious leaders? Is Jesus gone rogue? Is he just some weird prophet with these mysterious powers? Is he truly from God? Is he, like the Pharisees will say later, filled with the power of Satan, and that's where his power comes from? Or is Jesus who he says that he is? The Pharisees, or the religious leaders in this story, come to Jesus and begin to persecute him for what he did on the Sabbath. And this is the time where Jesus normally just kind of takes his way out and says, what I did on the Sabbath is not a sin. He'll say things in other occasions like, if you had a son or a daughter who got sick on the, ha on the Sabbath, wouldn't you take them to the doctor? If you had a donkey that fell into a pit, wouldn't you pull it out? The Sabbath was not something that we were made for. It was made for us. And so when you can find freedom on the Sabbath, go after it. But on this occasion, Jesus doesn't get out of this whole Sabbath-breaking controversy 
by claiming that what he was doing was not sin, which it wasn't. Instead, Jesus takes a more dangerous route. He tells the religious leaders, let me, let me tell you why I'm working on the Sabbath. You can see it here in verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. The Sabbath started in Genesis chapter 1. When God creates the earth in this six-day movement, and then on the seventh day, God's, God rests from all his labor. The Sabbath continues in the Ten Commandments, where God says, I want you to be a people who rest like I rested, and I want that to be a mark that you are my people. And so you shall honor the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Do not do any work on Saturday. And yet everyone knew that God didn't really stop working on the seventh day. In a sense, he ceased from his work of creation, but everyone knew that if God stopped working, the universe would cease to exist. The people who rested on the Sabbath, the reason they were breathing on the Sabbath was because the Father was working on the Sabbath. If the Father rested on Saturday, we would die instantly and the world would implode. So yes, the Father didn't truly cease from all work. The Father is always working, and yet he calls us as finite, mortal human beings to rest so we don't die. Jesus' argument why he works on the Sabbath is not because it's not a sin to heal someone this time. His argument this time is, I'm working because the Father is working. And he aligns himself with God. And everyone around understood the gravity of that claim. It says, for this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. There are a lot of people in this world who don't believe that Jesus ever claimed to be God. What we see in this one verse is that the way that Jesus described his identity was one where trained religious professionals understood that he was claiming to be God. He says it stronger later. He says, I and the Father are one. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, before Abraham was born, I am, using that name Yahweh of God in the Old Testament, Jesus is always claiming that he and the Father in heaven are one. That's why he's working on the Sabbath. Because if Jesus stopped working, the world would implode. Because he is the one who created the heavens and the earth. And as he says this statement, the religious leaders understand that He's worse than a rogue prophet. He's claiming to be their God from their system in their Bible who created the earth as they know it. There are people all over the place who have different views of who Jesus is. I remember about 10 years ago, I, I was the college pastor here and me and Paul Keim and Ryan Suzuki, the children's pastor today, we decided in college group to film a video of what people in our community thought about Jesus. And it didn't seem like it would be a very scary video to make. It's a simple question. Who do you think Jesus is? And yet, we found out as we started asking people, and I didn't really do it. I made them do it, then I watched the video later. But <laughs> maybe I knew it was a little scary. As they asked these people, they got a wide variety of strong responses. 
We had people stop and say, it's none of your business what I, who I think Jesus is. Oh, okay. Some people said, well, Jesus is different things to different people. Well, Jesus is a prophet, but he's not what people say he is. I even had one person, or they even had one person who, with this, like, righteous indignation, like, I'm a Christian, I know who Jesus is, they looked at him as, as this person got in their car. They said, he's the son of Christ. <laughs> I thought, wow, you are, you are very passionate about that weirdly wrong answer. <laughs> he is the Christ, the son of God. He's not the son of Christ. Anyway. In these verses that follow, the gigantic red text that you see on your page, Jesus tells us who he thinks that he is, which I think is a pretty valid source if it's about who Jesus truly is. So what I would love to do is read verses 19 through 30, and on that big blank piece of paper in front of you, write down anything that you feel like is compelling, something that Jesus says that that resonates with you. It strikes a chord. Maybe you haven't thought of it before. Maybe it would be a, a phrase in there that you feel like will really resonate with someone that you've been discussing these things about. If you brought your own Bible, you can just underline it there. But if you didn't, write it on that blank piece of paper. Let me read what Jesus, or who Jesus claimed that Jesus was. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself, He can only do what he sees his father doing, because what the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus makes some bold claims concerning himself. There are two broad categories that come out of this chunk of text where Jesus says, I have authority from the Father of all judgment, and I have authority from the Father of life. I have life in myself. And as Jesus continues his ministry, we start to see the power that he has of life as he raises the dead, as he gives sight to the blind, as he takes brokenness and redeems it into healing, as he comes to people and says, do you want to be healed? 
and heals them, we see that the son has power over life and over death. The other day I was getting ready for, I was going out with some, some friends, some of the pastors from our church. We were going to San Francisco for a show and, and I was there and James Tyler was there and Ryan Suzuki was there and Mark Campbell was there and a bunch of other guys were there. And while we were getting ready to get in the car, two Mormon girls came down my driveway and up onto my porch. And I started thinking, I feel really bad for these girls right now with these guys to talk to. You know, they're thinking, oh, wow, a group of people. We should share our faith with them. And, and so we started talking a little bit about, about Mormonism. And, and as they were talking, I, I was asking myself, why do they feel like they need to convert me? They say that they're Christians. They call me a Christian. And, and yet they seem that they feel like there's a need to come and tell me to follow their religion instead of mine. And so they said they wanted to talk more because we had to leave. And so I said, you know what, let's, let's go up to your temple. I'd love to go to the visitor center and look around, and I want to ask you some questions about what you believe. And so I go up to the temple, and I'm talking to these two girls and some others, and, and I'm just asking them all these questions about their faith. And as I'm asking them, I realize that the reason they're trying to convert me is because the Jesus in their religion is a different guy than the Jesus in my religion. And they feel like my Jesus is the wrong Jesus. And I need to follow the right Jesus. You know, before, not before this moment, but when I was a young Christian, I, I always had a hard time understanding how Mormonism and Christianity and Jehovah's Witness and Islam and all these other religions of the world that have Jesus in them interacted with Christianity because when I read about Jesus, I saw that Jesus tended to say, you follow me and no one else. But all these other religions had Jesus as a place in their religion, and I didn't understand how that worked. But as I talked to these Mormon girls, I, I realized that their Jesus worked in Mormonism because he was a different Jesus. It'd be like if I ran into you on the street and I said, hey, do you know Pastor Larry from our church? And you said, oh yeah, I know Pastor Larry. It's like six, seven. Redhead, grew up in Guam, like, I don't, okay, I don't know if that's a real human, but I know for sure that's not Larry Vole from Neighbor Church. You know a guy named Larry, and he happens to be a pastor, but you and I aren't talking about the same guy. And I found that with these Mormon folks is that they worship a guy named Jesus, but he's not the same guy. Their Jesus was a created being by God. Their Jesus was a type of God that we can turn into. Their Jesus was the brother of Lucifer. Their Jesus is a different guy than this Jesus. And as we talked about that, they asked me the question, and it sounded like a threat, but I don't think it was. They said, if, if someone keyed your car tonight, I'm like, ooh, okay. <laughs> At least they didn't say, if someone burned down your house tonight. They said, would you prefer that there was no witnesses, that there was one witness, or that there were multiple witnesses? I said, well, I, I guess I would prefer that there are multiple witnesses. And they said, that, that's right. The more witnesses there are, the more perspectives you get to see, and the truer the story gets to be. They said, so the Book of Mormon is another witness to Jesus Christ. 
They said, I bet you didn't know that Jesus came to America after the resurrection. I said, I didn't know that. (laughs) They said, there's a lot of things that you can learn about Jesus by reading from this other witness. And so I realized at that moment that that's true. You can have a thousand witnesses to who Jesus is, but truly you need to say which witnesses are reliable witnesses. Is the Book of Mormon a reliable witness? Is Joseph Smith a reliable witness? If they are, then maybe there's a facet of Jesus I don't understand. But if it's not a reliable witness, then it should be thrown away as untrue. Jesus uses this same logic as he continues in John 5. And he says, don't take my word for who I am. I could be a crazy person, right? He doesn't say that, but could be. He says, let's talk about the witnesses. He says, John the Baptist told you that I was the Messiah. And everyone loved John the Baptist. John the Baptist was kind of that linchpin where Jesus would go to kind of poke at the religious leaders. And he would say, do you accept John the Baptist? Because if you do, he testifies about me. But if you don't, you're in a heap of trouble because everyone knows John the Baptist is a real deal. And they couldn't answer him. So Jesus says, well, take John the Baptist's word for it. He's the real deal. And he says that I am who I say I am. Jesus says, if you want another witness, look at the works that I'm doing. Look at that man who was healed after 38 years of sickness. He's been healed by this power that's indwelling in me. That can be a witness that I truly am from God. He says, don't just look at that. Look at the Father himself. Look back a couple chapters when I was baptized in John chapter 3. And the Spirit comes down in this form of the dove, and the Father speaks from the heavens, this is my Son whom I love Listen to him. If the father says, listen to the son, then you listen to the son when the son says, I and the father are one. You listen when the son says, I have life in myself. You listen when the son says, if you honor me, you honor the father because the father said, listen to him. But the religious leaders could have pushed back on all of those things. The father never said that. John the Baptist had a lapse. We think your works are from Satan. So Jesus says, read the Bible. And one of the most powerful verses in this passage, Jesus says in 539, you guys study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He says in verse 45, don't think that I will accuse you before the Father. Like you're going to come before God someday and I'm going to say, hey, they tried hard but they missed one thing, ha, ha, ha. He says, your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Jesus claimed to have the power of judgment and the power of life. And as we follow his ministry, we see that he has both. Jesus heals. Jesus calls it as it is. Jesus speaks words from the Father. Jesus acts and lives in accordance with the rules set out in Scripture from the Father. 
Jesus holds to the law of the Old Testament perfectly and fulfills all of its prophecies concerning who the Messiah would be. And yet they kill him for it. But then since Jesus has power over life and death, he raises himself from the dead. When Paul shares the gospel to the Athenians in Acts 17, he tells the folks in Athens that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. From the moment the resurrection happened for the next 2,000 years, the strongest witness to the authority of Jesus Christ is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection that brought on the Spirit, the resurrection that enabled Jesus to minister with his disciples before ascending to his throne in heaven where he rules and reigns over all the earth forever and ever and ever. And when one day he will come back and rule in finality, he sits there judging and giving life because he has risen from the dead. Hallelujah. The question for us becomes, what do we do with this? We know who Jesus claimed to be. We know where all the witnesses point who Jesus is. We know that he has the power to move us from death into life. But will we be like those religious leaders who disbelieve it and focus in on our systems to save us? Or will we be like this man who in his helplessness just looked at Jesus and, and said, yeah, I want to get well and was made well. Who understood for a moment that Jesus was the source of life. It's so sad in this passage all of the characters revolving around Jesus, they're looking in the wrong place for life. They're looking in the wrong place for healing and for transformative power. The man starts out by the pool, looking to that pool for life, even telling Jesus, no one could help me into this pool. If someone could help me into this pool, there's life there. You've got the religious leaders who are looking at their system for life. As long as we keep our rules, then we can keep the Bible's rules, and then maybe we'll be accepting of life. And when this man who is healed by Jesus comes face to face with these religious leaders, he's so terrified of breaking man's rules that he turns from Jesus and goes to the religious system hoping to find life there instead, instead of the one who just gave him life. And we do the same thing. So often we rely on our church attendance or our small group attendance or our service or whatever it is to try to gain points with God, hoping that in our service is life. But we don't realize that in Jesus is life. So often we're like this man who finds Jesus in his grace, at his mercy. We find his healing in our salvation. And then we get scared that we better earn the rest of the way. And so we leave Jesus and we move to religious structures to find life in them instead. And we end up empty. And I'm not against religious structures. We have a lot of them here. But there's a difference be, between being that person who 
goes to 101 and 201 and 301 and 401 and 501 and gets a certificate and thinks, oh, good, I'm a Christian now. And the person who goes to these structures that are in place and allows those structures to introduce them to Jesus as they walk down the path. They go to 101 and they learn about what it truly means to follow Christ and they, they trust him in baptism. They go to 201 and they learn about spending time with the Lord and surrendering their resources to the Lord and joining more communities and serving more. And they get involved in these structures in a sense, but they get involved in these structures because they live in obedience to Jesus and they want to cultivate their relationship with him. If you're feeling stale and you're super involved, there's a chance that you're looking for transformation in the structures and not in the Savior, that the structures are intended to cultivate your relationship with. And Jesus tells the disciples right before he leaves the earth, right before he goes to the cross, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. For those of us in this room who are very involved and yet spiritually dry, Maybe you're involved in the structures, but you've lost your connection with Jesus. This man who was healed, he ran away from Jesus because he was scared. Because it's really scary to align with a man or a God who has complete authority over your life and who will get you into trouble. It's scary to follow a Jesus who might tell you to pray with someone at work. It's scary to follow a Jesus who might give you an opportunity to stand up in front of your classmates and share the gospel. It's a lot easier to check the boxes of a religious system and hope to find transformation there instead. Jesus says, I am the one who transforms. Honor me. Follow me. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Don't get caught up in the structures. Get caught up in, in a deepening, obedient relationship with the Savior. Today, as we close in prayer and take an offering for the Gideons and continue to worship, this is an amazing opportunity to wrestle with where you are with Jesus. If you're intending to donate to the Gideon's ministry because you want to check a box of some sort, because you feel like you need to or God will be mad at you, don't. But if this is something that God is compelling you to be obedient to him in releasing your resources so that others might be transformed, so that you could give him glory for transforming your life and transforming others through you, take advantage of this opportunity. If you feel like you want to go home because you've checked the church box today and God is pleased for the week, don't go home. I don't really know what to do at that point. Don't do that. Spend these next few moments of the service asking God why you're here. Are you hoping to earn his favor? Or are you worshiping him because Christ died for our sins and won his favor for us? and resurrected to give us life that we choose to use to bring glory and honor to him because of our thankfulness and because of his gravity and our gladness.
As the ushers come forward, let's close our time in prayer and then we'll move into some worship. Father, we pray that you would give us the wisdom to see the difference between following structures and following your son. Honoring you by checking religious boxes and honoring you by living in an obedient relationship to Jesus Christ. We pray that you would give us opportunities this week to step out in our faith and trust Jesus and find life there. So many of us look at that question in our bulletins, do you want to be healed? And we do. And we've been trying to please you by coming to church and signing up for stuff and doing things. And yet we just feel staler and staler and staler. We pray that we would be healed as we turn to Jesus. As we use whatever structures that we connect with to encounter him. We would serve others because he serves us and we want to image him in that. That we find community because we want to be used by you to transform others. And we want others to transform us that we would join in worship because we know that you transform us as we let our praises ring. Let us learn even this week to trust in the Son and honor the Son and in so doing honor you. We pray that you would bless this offering that we receive to do mighty works around the world through Gideons and even here in the States. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.